that grief is something that from the outside looking in can't possibly be understood. But at the same time, from the inside looking out, it can't possibly be explained. Grief is a very unique emotion. And it is something that we all experience in different ways. It's something that we all process in different ways. And as I said this morning, as long as we live in a fallen world, we're going to have to deal with the burden of grief, either through sorrow, sickness, or suffering. Those three things, thanks to um, Adam and Eve's little adventure in the garden, um, we have to deal uh, with those things. The first thing that we learned this morning is that we don't have to get over our grievous loss. As a matter of fact, we can't get over. And besides that, God doesn't require us to get over. As I said this morning, the concept of, quote, getting over it is a misleading and empty expectation. And I, I gave this example. We get over breaks and sprains, not amputations. And when somebody suffers a loss, that's an amputation. Now, we all get banged up in life, right? And there are all kinds of things that come our way uh, that hurt us, um, that uh, just bang us up. But we get over it and we go on. But when you lose a part of your life, you don't just get over that and go on. You can't. It would be like an amputation. And you waking up every single day looking at that nub. You know, we will we'll never get over, we can't get over uh, the loss of our son uh, because he's all over our house. Every room we go into, there's, there's some memory of him somewhere. And we want it that way. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. So we don't have to get over it, but we can get through it. That doesn't mean that we just shut the door behind us and, and, and pretend the pain away. But it does mean that, that there will come a time, by God's grace and with his help, that we will be able to accept the horrible event that brought us so much grief and sorrow. And we'll find the strength to move forward in life despite the loss and pain. And then the third truth that we talked about had to do with the sovereignty of God. And so let's pick up the fourth truth that will help us get through what we'll never get over. And we'll do that in just a moment. But I want to reread a few verses here in our text, beginning with verse 7. Can we do that? And lest, Paul writes, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, 
There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, what Paul is saying there, because he had this tremendous opportunity that nobody else had ever had to see things that nobody else had ever seen, to hear things that nobody else had ever heard. God knew that because Paul was human, there would be a real tendency there for him to get arrogant and proud and boastful, thinking that, that I'm someone, I'm something special. And knowing that, God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to head that off at the pass. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop that before it ever gets started. And he gave Paul, we don't know what it was. We, there's a lot of speculation out there about, about what this thorn in the flesh could have been. Many believe it was a, an eye problem because of, of other things that we read later in Paul's writings about uh, his, his eyesight getting dim and, and him having to write in large letters. Uh, so there's a lot, of, a lot of reason why it may have been an eye problem. But it, it, it could have been gout. I don't, I don't know. Who knows what it was? But there was something in his physical body that reminded him every day, I need the Lord. I need the Lord. Verse 8, for this thing, this thorn in the flesh, Paul said, I besought, or he begged, or he pleaded with the Lord three times, thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said, that is God's reply to Paul was this. It's in red letters in my Bible. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, writes Paul, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, in Christ's sake, and, and here's why, Paul said, here's why I do that. For when I am weak, that is when I am weak in the flesh, then am I strong in the Lord. When I am weak in myself, Paul says, I am strong in the Lord. So here's the fourth truth uh, when it comes to the grief of loss. God can use our pain for our good and his glory. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar with uh, another one of Paul's uh, letters, the letter to the church at Rome, and his writing, and, and he said this, is very uh, familiar passage of scripture. He said, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Brother Mike, here's a conclusion that, that I have come to. God has a different definition for words than I do. For example, he does work all things for my eternal good and his eternal glory. But his definition of good and my definition of good aren't always the same. My good would never include losing our son in the prime of his life. My good would never be 
his wife, Sheena, having to answer questions like, Mommy, when is Jesus going to fix Daddy and bring him home? How do you answer a question like that? My good would be TJ alive and calling us every week. And I'm talking without fail, that boy called every week just to see how we were doing. And he said, oh, we're doing good. He said, all right. He'll hang up. He didn't always have to talk a long time. He just missed his family. They live over by Winfield. And, and uh, of course, his brother and sister both live in Liberal. And he just missed his family. And he would call every week. Now, his mom would always answer. I would always answer. His brother, not so much. <laughs> And so he would text one of us and he would tell us, tell Tyler to answer his stinking phone. And uh, his sister, she was pretty good about answering. My, my good, here's, a, here, here's what my good would be. It would be a kiss on my bald head and the words, love you, pops. And what I would give for another one of those. My good would be TJ getting to watch all three of, of his daughters grow up to be godly ladies who marry godly men and, and serve the God that their mom and dad served. So as you look at, at our personal situation, you, you ask what possible good could come from a, a tragedy like ours or like those suffered by others. And one of those, I would say, is this. Pain produces a deeper relationship with the Lord. Now, I'll be the first to admit tonight, I don't understand why God does what he does. But I know that he loves me. And I know that he wants me to draw near to him. And sometimes he will allow me to feel the pain of this world's unhealed hurts if it brings us closer. I want you to look at this quote by a man named John Kitchen. He said this, our deepest encounters with God may come wrapped in the deepest pains of life. Think about that. Our deepest, closest, richest, most intimate Encounters with God may come wrapped in the deepest pains of life. One way that pain produces a deeper relationship with the Lord is in the purification of our faith. When Paul wrote to some suffering Christians, um, he, he wrote this, or excuse me, Peter was writing to suffering Christians. And he wrote these words, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, and I like this part of this verse, for a season, just for a season, just for a time, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold, than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing 
of Jesus Christ. Before suffering, before grief, before loss, our untested faith may glibly say things like, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. But as grief envelops us, and we lean into the truths of who God is because of what the Bible says, even when we don't see it, and even, as I said this morning, when we don't feel it, our convictions of God's goodness and faithfulness are stripped of all sentimentality and our faith is purified and strengthened. A second positive outcome of pain is that it helps us, helps conform us into the image of Christ. The testing of our faith can, can bring a spiritual maturity that nothing else can bring. Again, Paul said in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his, and what's that last word? Purpose. You say, well, what is his purpose? And Paul goes on to explain God's purpose in verse 29 for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed. Here's his image, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's purpose for you and I encountering difficult times in our life. It is helping us look more like Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God's purpose in your life and my life is to make us more like Jesus. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to chisel away all that detracts from Christ in us so that his glory may be seen through us. The process, listen, the process is painful. But the product, is beautiful. So pain produces a deeper relationship with the Lord. It conforms us into the image of Christ. And, and here's a, another one. God permits pain in our life so we can help others with pain in their life. Now that's a biblical principle. It's found in the book of 2 Corinthians over in uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Here's what Paul said. He said, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, look at this, the God of all comfort. And then here's the principle. Who comforteth us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort others who are in, 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 which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves have been comforted. Does that make sense? 
And so we experience the grief of loss. And God comforts us with, with the comfort that can only come from him. And then we take what we've learned through our experience and through our uh, in, in being blessed with God's comfort, and then we do our best to comfort others with the very same comfort that he used to comfort us. Does that make sense? And, and, and so over the course of the last three years or so, that has been a large part of our ministry, literally from, from, from West Coast to East Coast, from, from North to South, churches all over the nation. We have done walking through grief Sundays, and it's been our purpose to, to use the comfort that God has given us to comfort others. That's our purpose today. That, that has been our goal today as we prayed together this morning. We prayed that God would allow us to help others in the same way that others have helped us. So that's a biblical principle. And I hope that, that God will afford you an opportunity uh, to take some of the things that you've heard today. And when you encounter hurting people, to be able to share some of those things with them. You say, well, well Brother Perry, I, I don't know if I, can, if I can remember all of that. Then take the little book that you were given this morning and maybe give that away. So listen, I, I just, I don't know that I can really explain everything to you, but I think this book will help. And listen, at $5, we're not, we are not gonna retire on the proceeds. From these, from these little books, okay? This isn't about the money. And if you can't afford it, I'll, I'll give you one or two. I, I don't care. I just want God's people to be equipped to minister to other hurting people. And the really neat thing, if you haven't read this book yet, the, the really neat thing about it is at our son's funeral, uh, a, a, a mom named Sally got saved. And so we were able to include her salvation story uh, in, in the, the end of, of this book. And so it's, a, it's also a, a, an evangelistic tool that, that will help unbelievers hopefully come to know the Lord as their Savior. So when we talk to someone who is farther along the path of recovery, it encourages us to keep moving forward with the hope that, that things will not always be as they seem right now. Likewise, when we share from our experience with uh, someone whose life has been recently shattered, it not only encourages them, and I hope this will make sense, but it also helps us gain perspective by realizing how far we've come. So even when our circumstances aren't good, God's purposes are. The next truth along with the, the first truth I shared with you this morning that we don't have to get over it, that truth and the one I'm about to share with you are probably the two that people comment on the most. They generally say something like this, thank you, thank you for telling us that. 
thank you for helping me understand that. Number one, that I don't have to get over it, that I can't get over it, and that God doesn't require me to get over it. But here, here's, here's the second one that they really appreciate, and I think you will as well. That blank one, yeah, right there. I'm, we may be missing a slide. We are. But it's this. It's okay to ask why. It's okay to ask why. Some have been led to believe incorrectly, and I think I can prove this biblically, and I'll, I'll give it a shot here in a moment. But, but for years, for years, I always heard, and I, I think I heard wrong that we're not supposed to ask why. But I submit to you tonight that God is not put off by our questions. How many of you have ever, ever heard before, well, we're just not supposed to ask why? Yeah. Listen. Go home, and in the morning, start at Psalm 1 and begin reading through the Psalms. And write down or highlight or circle or underline in your Bible every time that David or another writer questioned God. You're going to find them over and over and over again. For example, David questioned God when he seemed to be distant. David questioned God when he felt forsaken by him. David questioned God when he felt like God had forgotten about him. There was a time when David thought maybe God had fallen asleep and he asked him about it. When, 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 when David felt like God was hiding from him, he asked him about it. He questioned God when he felt like injustice was going to, to be permitted to go on unpunished. And besides David, Moses questioned God in Numbers chapter 11, as did Habakkuk in chapter 1. And Job in chapter 7. The disciples questioned in John chapter 9. And if that is not proof enough, then all you've got to do is turn to the end of Matthew chapter 27 when, when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says this, my God, my God. What's the next word? Why hast thou forsaken me? That's God's own son questioning his father. Why have you forsaken me? And if it's permissible for God's own son to question him, then church, listen, it's okay. If we don't understand and we cry out, God, why? To quote John Kitchen again, he said, why is the first and greatest word of the suffering 
soul. Our why questions allow us to go before our Heavenly Father and to pour our heart out to Him. I believe it's Psalm 142 where David said, I poured out my complaint before the Lord. But that being said, I'll say this. I believe that there is a danger in a persistent focus on why. Because you remember, I said this morning, we talked about the sovereignty of God. He is not required to live up to our expectations or to explain himself. So there's a danger in a persistent Focus on why. And, 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 and here's why I say that. Because the longer our question goes unanswered, then the more it feeds a sense of entitlement. And as that sense of entitlement grows, it usually leads to bitterness. Because it's been my experience in 63 years of living that seldom of ever are we ever going to discover the why, at least on this side of eternity. We don't know. And of course, the subject of bitterness would be a, a whole sermon in itself and we'll not go there, but I would like to give you real, really quick two thoughts on how to keep from getting bitter. And, and these come from our own uh, personal experience over the course of the last five and a half years. And here's the first one. Accept what cannot be changed. Accept what cannot be changed. There is not a person sitting before me tonight who would not reverse the events of February the 6th, 2018, if they could. So I don't even know you but if I, could, if I could go back and change time for you folks, I would do that. Well, I would do that for you too. But we can't. As I said this morning, TJ's gone. And I don't say that flippantly. That's just reality. He's no longer with us. And he'll not be with us. So that being the case, and, and we've accepted that. But that being the case, the best thing to do and the thing that we have tried to do is to focus on what's left and not what's lost. So number one, accept what cannot be changed. And number two, focus on what's left, not what's lost. Now listen, that is not to say that we're trying to forget TJ. Not at all. Okay, and if you're wondering what TJ stands for, it stands for Timothy James. We just call him TJ. T-Bird, T-Dog, T-whatever. We, whatever we felt like calling him, that's what we call him. But we're not trying to forget him. He, he, understand this, we're not moving on from him 
We are moving forward with him. He's still in our hearts. And we don't shy away from speaking his name. We don't shy away from talking about him as a family. We don't shy away still from making fun of him. Even though he's not here to defend himself, we're dogging him all the time. Because if he were here, he'd be dogging us. That's just the way it is. So we're not moving on from him. We're moving forward with him, if that makes sense. You see, getting through is about reliving the good memories and refusing to let the painful ones drag us down. Sometimes we can let our painful memories so dominate our minds and our viewpoints that our good memories all but disappear as they get tucked away in some dark corner of our minds. So no, this is not about forgetting our son. It's about choosing not to let his death consume us. And here's why, and this is very important, because we still have our daughter-in-law and our three granddaughters and our son and his wife and their son and our daughter and her husband and their three sons who need us. This is the last thing that we want to happen is for our son Tyler and our daughter Tiffany to come to a point where they, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they resent, we don't want them to resent, thank you, to resent their brother's death because it's stolen their mom and dad. Because it's taken their Grammy and Papa away from, from their kids. Does that make sense? You know, I, for years, I never understood as, as I was in the ministry and I would watch, I would watch these kinds of events unfold, I, I, never, I never could understand how a loss like that could tear a family apart. In my mind and in my simple little brain, it was like, man, that ought to bring you together. But now I understand how it can happen. Now it hasn't happened in our family and we're very thankful for that. But I can understand as somebody gets consumed, as a mom or a dad gets consumed with with. with uh, with, with who they lost and, and, and lost and with that loss itself, that it's almost like the others are standing over here and they're like, how about us? What about us? We're still here. We need you. We want you. Does that make sense? And so just a couple of, couple of things to, to keep from getting better, uh, bitter, except what cannot be changed. And number two, focus more on what's left and less on what's lost. And then here's the last thing that I'll share with you in our time together this weekend. It's simply this, God's grace is sufficient. 
the pain of losing our son was greater than anything I can even begin to describe. But the help that we have received from the Lord is greater than I could even begin to explain. God said to Paul, Paul said, take this away, take this away, change my circumstances, change my situation. And I don't know if Paul asked three times and every time God gave the same answer or if Paul asked three times and God just answered him one time, I don't know, but his answer was always the same. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And I love, listen church, I love the word sufficient. You know why? Because it means enough. Always and forever enough. Paul, I got you, son. I'm enough. My grace will be enough to see you through. Listen, it would be easier, it would be easier to dip a sponge into the Atlantic or the Pacific and soak up all of the water than it would be to exhaust God's supply of grace. It would be easier for you to step out your front door in the morning and suck all of the oxygen out of the atmosphere with a straw than it would be to exhaust God's supply of grace. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Those familiar words came from the pen of a, a man named John Newton. When John Newton wrote those words, he did so out of personal experience. If you've never read the life story of, of John Newton, the, the, the writer of, of the, the wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, you need to. Because there's a reason it's called Amazing Grace. When you read what God did in that man's life, what he was and what God did and where God brought him, it is amazing. But when he penned those words, it was out of personal experience. His greatest test came the day that his wife, when he buried his wife, Mary, he had prayed many times that his death would precede hers, but his prayers were not answered. On the day that Mary Newton died, John Newton found strength to preach a Sunday sermon. The next day, he visited church members. And then later he would preside over his wife's funeral. He grieved, but in his grief, he found God's provision. He would later write these words. The Bank of England is too poor to compensate for such a loss as mine. But the Lord the all-sufficient God speaks, and it is done. 
Let those who know him and trust him be of good courage. He can give them strength according to their day. He can increase their strength as their trials increase. And what he can do, he has promised that he will So tonight I would simply say to you, thank God for his all-sufficient, amazing grace. Many have been the attempts to define grace. Personally, I choose to define grace as God's supply for my every need when I need it. God God knows me and he knows you and he knows when when we need grace and what kind of grace we need and he's got enough for all of us. But somebody may say, but but, Brother Prater, how, how do I tap into God's grace? Well, I believe that we find the answer to that in the book of Hebrews chapter four. In verse 16, where again, I believe Paul wrote, let us therefore, Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what is your need? There's grace for that. Just fill in the blank. What, what, what? My, my, my need is blank kind of grace. Well, there's grace for that. There's grace for salvation. There's grace for strength. There's grace for wisdom. There's grace for suffering. There's grace for sorrow. God's got grace for everything and anything we could possibly experience in this life. And we have an open invitation to come to him in prayer anytime we need to and say, God, I got to have grace for this. Lord, I'm about to scratch your eyeballs out. I need grace for that. Lord, I'm about to tell my boss where to jump off. I need some grace. God will give you grace. Lord, I don't think I can even get out of bed this morning. God's got grace for that. Lord, I am so discouraged. God's got grace for that. Lord, I am hurting so bad. God's got grace for that. There is is grace for our every need. So when we need grace to even take another step or to live another day, or to cope with another memory. All we have to do is go to the Lord in prayer and ask for it. And he promises to give it to us. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity that we've had today to delve into the wonderful truth of your grace.
Grace that you told Paul was sufficient. And grace that many of us through our uh, years of walking with you have found to be just that, sufficient, enough, always and forever enough. You never run out. You never run low. You never withhold your grace from your children who ask for it and need it. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight who may find themselves right now in need of grace. It may be totally unrelated to what we've talked about today. God, maybe there's a parent here who needs grace to deal with a wayward child. Maybe there's a brother or sister here tonight who needs grace to deal with chronic pain, to deal with an ongoing illness, to deal with a difficult marriage, to deal with a difficult boss, God, who knows? We know you know. And so I pray that your grace would be all that it was for Paul, all that it's been for us, and all that it's been for others down through the centuries. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can put that on the song service setting. Let's just sing uh, this chorus together, Amazing Grace. The words won't be on the screen, but we can sing it together nonetheless.